Have you ever wondered what a couple of butt-naked people talking to a snake and floating boats and pyramids and talking donkeys have to do with reading your Bible? This is the Bible podcast called I Read My Bible. This is a place where we like to uh, just openly talk about uh, scripture and uh, bring up some interesting thoughts and new ideas and get you thinking about how to read your Bible differently. That's right. We uh, like to uh, bridge the gap from uh, thousands of years to the current day and uh, sometimes talk about things that are just a little bit uncomfortable for the average uh, Bible reader. But that's okay because that's that's what uh, good Bible reading is all about. It's about asking good questions and being okay with uh, being a little bit uncomfortable because that's how we learn and grow, right? This is quite intriguing so far. Yeah. What am I in for, Josh? <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about... Well, last, uh, let's see, what did we talk about last time? We talked about uh, Genesis 1 and uh, how God was ordering the chaos, and right? getting to the point where he was reigning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how the creation account, uh, talking about how God bara the uh, heavens bara. and earth, how it's about not so much creation from nothing, but how God is ordering what he has created. And when he orders it, he's... It's existing because it's got function and role, right? Yeah, because we were looking at this through the lens of this is a theological writing, not necessarily, uh, you know, what we would call by our standards today, a historical account of material origins, right? Yeah. Um, And for some that are um, on the side of creation scientists, which creation science, which is where I originally come from, it's a little bit hard Maybe to bear at the beginning because it's just so counter um, counterintuitive to what you've been what we've been told on another side of things. But um, I think the main argument that we uh, that has maybe swayed both of us is just um, realizing that the Bible is not a science book; it's communicating theology. And if we approach it from that lens, we're gonna ask questions that are going to bring us uh, closer to what the authors intended, right? Yeah, and maybe if it puts you at ease to know this, at least for myself, I'm I'm sure it's the same for you, Josh, but where I come from, what led me to seek such a way of reading the Bible, right? It's just because I appreciate the heck out of it. I love the Bible. Um, I appreciate it for what it is, and I want it to be able to speak clearly on its own terms, which it's pretty hard to do (laughs) when uh, you are (laughs) thousands of years and, uh, you know, uh, uh, separated from it. Yeah. So, of course, we can't do it absolutely perfectly. No one can, but we're just doing our best to try and let the Bible say what it has to say, right? So that's what led us to this kind of way we're looking at it right now and this way we're trying to learn ourselves to read our Bibles. Yeah, for sure. So after Genesis uh, 1, we come into this um, second uh, part of this early story of, you know, the story of humankind and the fall and God's redemptive plan, and we we get this like really strange uh, scene where there's humans, you know, being ripped apart from other humans to like make male and female, and snakes and trees talking to people. And I don't know about you, but like when I was growing up, it just like the way that I was being told to read it, it just I didn't know why it was off but i'm just like really like we're we're really making this literal and you know, you know? On that note too there's like some people out there uh you know i've heard uh from various people accounts like you know I, i'm not a christian because when i was a kid 
uh, we were told, oh, these stories are fairy tales. They're fake. But here's the Bible, which seems to be presented in the exact same way. And like, oh, no, this one's real, though. And for some people, like, that never made sense to me. And I can't believe that, right? Like, because, you know, they, they were fed this overly uh, literal uh, reading of the scriptures. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we, of course, don't think that's appropriate to the species of literature that we're dealing with, right? Um, yeah. So I, I'm asking a good question. So one of the good questions is, what is literal to the author, right? Um, the author might be communicating something that's literal to him, but we might be receiving that on the other end and taking it as something that he never intended, right? Kind of like this... Uh, well, let's just start with uh, the Nakash, uh, the serpent in Genesis. We see this as a literal snake talking to humans because we read it that way. And for the author, it, the authority doesn't lie in our interpretation, but the way that he's bringing that into the story because he's using a, a form of narrative that is foreign to us really because we're living thousands of years in the future, right? And to add on top of that as well, yeah, the, the genre isn't immediately recognizable to us of what yeah. we're reading. Um, so then we just fill in the blanks with our own understanding, which canon has led us astray in our reading of the Bible. But also, mm -hmm. we are just not that aware of the world surrounding the Bible because we mentioned that we've been hammering this point home, I feel, for the past few episodes here and there. Yeah, worldview, right? Yeah, the Bible's not written in a vacuum, right? It's written in a context um, of, uh, yes, Israel, but also the world that Israel's a part of, and it has something to say about that world and the players in it, yeah. uh, as well as Israel. And so uh, last episode, we even mentioned how in the opening verses, Tiamat gets uh, uh, the big X from the Bible. She's a non-factor. There's a polemic going on against uh, that Babylonian religion and other religions. And it's picked up here again. And I guess we'll get into that as we get along here. But uh, all that to say at this point, there's so much at play that if you just pick up your Bible, 21st century Western person, uh, you're going to miss it. And, and, and that's what we're here for. Because sometimes, even as we begin our journeys, you don't even know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there is, so let's start with like what maybe what we can maybe like read at face value. So, um, I don't know about you, but one of the, one of the questions I always had growing up as a kid is like, where is the garden of Eden now? Mm -hmm. Like what happened to it? Did it get like, I've heard the theory, you know, it was buried in the flood. Sounds like a good <laughs> primetime TV special. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it just somehow left you know, planet earth and God just, it's a spiritual place that's, you know, unseen to us now. But I, I remember as a kid, like envisioning like this cherubim, you know, with a sword and I'm like, I want to go see this place someday. Like, this is crazy. Like, are people going to like, what happens if someone walks up to this thing and they get their head cut off, you know, <laughs> like just the way that you think when you're eight years old or whatever. But, but these are like really good questions that people raise and they, they're good questions like, is the Garden of Eden a real place, right? Where is it now? What happened? Um, and I think the author leads us to thinking, because uh, it's not really clear, right? But there is some some form of longitude and latitude, right? We have uh, these rivers in Mesopotamia that are um, recognizable, um, these four rivers, right, the how do you, I don't even know how you pronounce it, the, the Tigris, right? And then the Euphrates. And so I think <clears throat> the biblical text is leading us to think for sure some kind of a physical place, like a literal place, 
oh, it just happens to be in Mesopotamia where the rest of the Bible, you know? So I think there's, I think there's some of that there, but I think it's also, also, uh, not there because it's not the author's point to like, say, this is the place where it all began. And this is like the landmark where you can go and like, look for it today. You know, like it's, I think I like how, I like how the biblical authors give us information, but never enough to like tell us everything. Like it almost like makes you want to dig for more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That they're always leaving you like something to like keep, keep you baited to like keep meditating on it because it is meditative. It's meditative literature, right? <laughs> like we don't just grab it and just read it, like read the Bible in a year. Like what's that going to do? <laughs> it might give you a good grasp of the overall picture and what's going on. But I think it's really one of these things, especially like the ancient literature. It's one of those things where we just have to really meditate and chew on it because there's a lot of stuff that the author wants us to sit there and think on, you know? Um, so yeah, maybe a place of longitude and latitude. Um, so, and then we have this idea of God planting a tree in the center and then, uh, this language of him taking humans and then also placing them in the center of this garden. So there's this, there's this tree of life and, um, we talked about a lot about, uh, other ancient Near Eastern uh, stories of the time or polemics um, um, uh, and how they are influencing maybe the way that the author is thinking because he's writing to Israel trying to get them to not go back to uh, the way that thing, the way that they were worshiping before. So um, we do see uh, trees uh, as places of worship or places of, uh, meditation or places to reach to the gods in uh, other stories as well. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing too. It gets picked up. You can read about it, especially in the prophetic literature, uh, the whole persistent problem of Asherah poles in Israel yeah. as a part of idolatry and, um, and Asherah poles, those are Christmas trees, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, no, they're not Christmas trees. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I, I threw you off there, but oh, that's I fine. just, I, re- I read some guy that was like trying to like talk about how Christians should celebrate Christmas years ago. And he's like, he's reading a text about like Asherah poles and how they like take them down and they carve them and they adorn them and they put them in their house. And he's like, see, it's a Christmas tree. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, reading into the text from our side, right? <laughs> Yeah, and Genesis too, we're starting to see these pieces, uh, you're mentioning them, the garden scene, the trees, the serpents coming up around the corner here, uh, and Eve. Um, These things are kind of related pieces as well in other ancient Near Eastern cosmologies or uh, creation accounts, Um, because this is an interesting, I I found in my own readings, uh, speaking about the polemic, what is this speaking against? So again... Uh, we just saw Tiamat get an X, and now there's another goddess figure here that you might be unaware of if you're not familiar with her. Her name's Asherah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I mentioned the Asherah poles that keep popping up throughout Israel's history in the Bible. Um, she is often represented in these other cultures that surrounded ancient Israel as uh, the consort or sort of the wifish figure of the big, like the big daddy god in these pantheons because they have their different gods, right? So she's up there. Um, she's depicted as a mother of all living type figure. Um, she's depicted through the image of a serpent. She's also depicted through the image of trees. And she's also depicted through the image of gardens. And mm-hmm. well, boom, we get all of that in Eden. And so uh, there's these pieces too that are playing with these things behind the scenes. Um, and it's it's cool because it doesn't even mention her by name, right? None of these symbols of her 
you know, barring Eve, of course, is anthropomorphized. So uh, they're not given, um, like, uh, kind of portrayed in a, a personal way, like that there's some being here. It's just things that God created. He set them down. And Eve, he, she's a created being. She's not divine. So, yeah, all these images of Asherah are spoken against. And it, it's another one of those, you know, blows of silence, right? Because all the pieces are pointing to her. You would expect to have her pop up, uh, maybe competing with Yahweh in some battle, but no, she's not even. A, she's a non-factor. So mm. again, just how the text so far has dealt with Tiamat deals with Asher in a similar way, and that actually plays a bit, uh, a really big deal into the theology that's uh, just a few verses ahead of us here as well, talking about sin and the fall and the significance of these things, like the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, right? Because when when you're talking about Asher being depicted with these tree images, right? Uh, trees in the ancient world, uh, they were uh, symbols of, what's the word again? Oh, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, trees or? Um, divination. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the roots go down into the netherworld, so to speak. The trunks are here in this area. And then, you know, they reach into the sky or the heavens. So there's this connection between different uh, uh, levels, right? So they that's where it factors in so there's these symbols kind of two behind the scenes playing at these things if you read this strictly literally you miss out on this but it looks like too there's uh uh maybe a bit of a competition between yahweh and idolatry or the worship of other deities not in a sense where yahweh's actually having an issue with them but in the sense that his people are having a problem with them in their own hearts right um there's and you can see that again throughout the literature this constant problem of Israel turning after idols and stuff and it's yeah. laid out from the beginning right here uh, that's not the way to go you actually want to be worshipping Yahweh yeah that's good it's a mouthful so far but yeah um, it's, it's, too, it's, it's interesting too because there's um, there's not just one um, I, mean, I don't think there's just one stream of thought in the author's yes. mind like it's like a what do you call it? I think he's trying to mosaic. Um, yeah, it's mosaic, but Not I think like there's Moses, also like a but like you know a big tapestry interwoven. Yeah, yeah. And I think the author even has a mosaic of all these other gods in the back of his head, and it's like he's he's almost trying to like kill two birds with one stone. You know, he's oh, yeah. he's employing imagery from these different um, different uh, what do you, what do you call them? Not um. I, I guess these other epics or mm, yeah. stories of God and man, right? Yep. Um, and he's kind of like put them all into one, and he's correct. He's correcting their their wrong. Uh, well, it's brilliant because at, at the same time that he's speaking for this uh, orthodox in his view theology, he's also speaking against what is unorthodox, which should not be adhered to. Yeah, and it's pretty brilliant what it does literarily, right? Yeah, and it's repeated, like, really we see it repeated throughout the Pentateuch. It's, it kind of starts here, and it's just like, do not go back. Do not worship these other gods. But they just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess in addition to that, so we have, like, we have this imagery of trees. Um, yeah, let's just let's stick with trees for a minute. So you mentioned how trees are part of, like, this imagery of divination. Yeah. It's also interesting how they also, like, we have the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um there's also like other imagery that we see repeated with trees in the Bible. And on one side, we see how they can bring a uh, life mm -hmm. to be connected to a tree. Um, you know, this idea, I am the, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Right. And there's, uh, Jesus says this painful thing about how, you know, there's some branches that will be cut off because they don't bear fruit, you know, and they'll be thrown in the fire. 
um, this kind of like this separating the wheat from the chaff kind of imagery. Um, so I think there's a, I think, well, we know that the author knows these things and he's beautifully like bringing all this imagery and he's putting it into putting such a punchy little few sentences, but it's like loaded, right? The original author like <laughs> sparks to be going off in their mind because they're seeing all of these um, some some authors will use like the term, or some theologians will say like signposts, right? Words can become signposts that kind of when the author is reading or uh, a guy, someone is reading uh, scripture, they they kind of go, oh, this is what this is connected to something, right? Mm-hmm. And Genesis is like overloaded, <laughs> which is why some people like you know never get out of it. <laughs> um, so. It, we you there's a, the epic that you man, uh, mentioned, and then we also have um, uh, I think it was I think Heiser in his book The Unseen Realm is the first guy that brought this to my attention. Um, oh no, maybe also um, uh, in a um, a commentary I read that um, compares uh, different views of Genesis as probably actually the Lexham uh, Lexham research commentary. I don't remember who the uh, compiler was, but he's he brings in all these different views from other authors. Um, and brought in the idea of, uh, snake imagery and trees. Well, cause snakes as well. I think the, the root word in Hebrew, it's like very similar to divination as well. And there's these multiple, there's so much depth to this serpent image, right? Yeah. Cause, um, uh, in general though, it's like the Nakash is associated with, uh, I think just for readers today, it's uh, chaos creatures, right? Well, yeah, then you also have this distinction between the uh, upright serpent, which in the ancient Near Eastern world was a good symbol, right? That's why pharaohs had them on their head, mm. uh, on their uh, headgear there. Uh, they, that, they, <laughs> they <laughs> It was a good representation. But then when they're on the belly, that's when you have the one that is the, the burning kind of snake because the venom bite, right? Oh, interesting. The burning sensation. Yeah. And um, that's also, I think in Heiser's book, he relates that in part to uh, again the the root words here how the word can all i'm pretty sure it's the word nakash or something similar can also be interpreted the shining one right oh yeah i think you're i think you're onto something yeah so i think you mentioned how there's a connection between that and uh like so uh the heavenly host type beings right but also to the the serpents so there's so much that gets picked up again with the image of seraphim throughout the Bible and uh, the burning sword with the uh, cherubim in a bit there. Uh, a lot going on um, if you're tracking with us. <laughs> but uh, the point here too is that the serpent talking to Adam and Eve in its upright position before it gets cursed and is made to slither on its belly, it's in the good position, yet it's depicted as doing something bad and worthy of Yahweh cursing it. So again, it's speaking out against that as well. And that's significant too, because again, the serpent, the symbol of Egypt, there's a whole bunch of play here with these images that, if you can't tell, even boggle our minds. You know, it's it's a whole lot to try and get into. Um, I was just going to pull that up in my uh, mm. uh, my Hebrew... Uh, Lexicon? Theological dictionary. Uh, Genesis 3, right? Genesis 3, 1. The serpent... Uh, boom, right there. Um, <laughs> that was my son. <laughs> uh, he wants to be a podcaster. Uh, he, he, the other day, uh, just for uh, entertainment's sake, while I'm fighting this, the serpent, we were uh, up in the living room and he just grabbed the microphone and he was jumping on the thing and he's like, I'm 
I'm DJ Zeke. Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> That's right, man. Let's talk on my cast. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. We're going to have a third panelist before you know it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Uh, Nakash. Nakash. Uh, together with it, I made bronze. Do, do, do. Uh, oh, yeah. Me. Oh, we're not going to find it today. There's too many pages on Nakash. Oni appears in the Ugaritic Serpent Whisper to be excited. Uh, and oh my goodness, interesting. Um, one of the things that I found interesting about, um, uh, just on the, the different usage of words there, uh, that you're mentioning the, also the word for, um, uh, the earth, um, is the same as, is it, uh, uh, not Sheol, um, what's the, um, when he talks about uh, casting the serpent down to the uh, to the earth, it's also like the same word for the the netherworld. Um, so again, to talk about Michael Heiser, he talks about how there's this imagery of um, this fallen this fallen one is not just uh, like the so the serpent is throw is is um, given this judgment to walk on his belly or to crawl on his belly after. So it's more connected with the underworld. Yeah, yeah. They, don't they also? It's like a, too, right? It's almost like a like a. Uh, you know how like uh, uh, authors will use words or numbers, or they'll they'll build things in stages to like progress an idea. So like um, in Genesis or in Revelation, we see you know like his the number of his name is like six six six. It's like he doesn't just fall short once; it's like three times over he falls short, right? Um, or like. Numbers will be used in general like a large number, right? So, uh, for for those of you not tracking with that one, yeah, biblical numerology yeah. seven is the number of completeness. Seven number completeness, yeah. So the idea that the the who's the the serpent who is the dragon in uh, um, Revelation, he, like he doesn't just fall short once; it's like threefold he falls short. It's uh, and the, what we see here is that because, like, I don't know if you've again on. Uh, um, bad uh, hermeneutics of Genesis. You know, I've I've heard like crazy interpretations, like, oh yeah, the snake used to have feet, and then God took his feet off and <laughs> made him crawl. Like again, this that's not the point. Is to to teach uh, theology, right? That's what we're trying to get at here. Um, it's not that this fallen being is now made to like crawl on the earth. He's like lower. It's like he just he's even knocked down to his belly to the netherworld. Um, I just wish I could remember the name. And that's a point. That's a point too, right? That, oh, a snake gets cursed. Uh, I guess he's kind of, he gets the short straw now uh, in, in the animal kingdom. That's a literal, hyper-literal reading, right? Again, what is this yeah. representing? Uh, the polemical sense of this, theologically, yeah. against uh, Asherah, Asherah worship, idolatry in general. Um, so... So let's talk about, uh, before we, we talked about, um, um, this other story. So we have maybe just, uh, we'll just talk about how, um, the author might be also employing some well-known imagery here. Um, uh, in the epic, there's an epic of, uh, I think we've mentioned the epic of Gilgamesh before. Um, again, trying to find out what's going on in the, the mind of the original reader. So if this is not a literal, literal naked woman talking to us 
physically talking to a snake that's hanging out of a tree. Just, hey, yeah, snakes apparently talk now, you know. <laughs> um, oh, wait, uh, so this is PG then. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a, in this epic of Gilgamesh, there's, uh, Gilgamesh goes on this uh, quest to like find immortality. And he, uh, he actually goes and seeks this man that, you know, survives a flood who we would know in our Hebrew version of this tale as Noah. And so Noah in, uh, the other st- stories of the flood that circulated in, uh, Mesopotamia, um, at the time, some people thought like this guy must have like some kind of immortality or gift of immortality cause he survived the flood. So we hear like in this epic of Gilgamesh how he seeks out this guy because he's hoping to get like this gift of immortality from or discover how to become immortal and it doesn't work out. So he goes on this quest to find like this branch or this uh, piece of uh, vegetation that's going to like provide him immortality. And then he's near this water and uh, the a serpent comes into the scene and takes it from him. <laughs> and now he's not going to gain immortality. And he, we just talk about it. It's kind of like a... Yeah, it's reversed. This is here, brought right? in, but it's almost like a reversal. I like how the author's always reversing what yeah. what is common in thought and like flipping it upside down almost. Because <laughs> in, in, in that Babylonian etc worldview yeah uh immortality can be obtained by humans uh and the serpent figure takes it away but here in genesis it's not something that can be obtained from us it's something given by god yet the serpent tries to convince us the to serpent, claim it for ourselves yeah the serpent makes and, us question it and, and then <laughs> citing a rebellion in in what we just mentioned in the last episode against this order and reign of god right yeah um interesting I'm thinking too, if, oh man, it feels like we're just ramping up, but we probably should get winding down um, for the sake of uh, how long this is. But, uh, you know, so there's a lot of pieces here. Uh, What good does that do you? Well, here's a hermeneutical, uh, I think a bit of an application, right? Uh, Just, uh, we're on the heels of this great glorious chapter in the Bible, uh, setting the whole stage of how God creates. uh, he, He creates order, he orders it, and he rests and reigns. And now the rest of this Bible is about the drama of how that reign and then ultimately that rest is achieved in his relations with humans, right? Yeah. Uh, He's going to use humans. Isn't that (laughs) just a powerful kind of funny point in a sense? You know, it's so much easier for God to create an order and reign over the world than it is for us to fall in line with that. Like it's not that God couldn't just, you know, like Thanos and Avengers snap his fingers, deal with us, you know, but he gave us some kind of a will right? Yeah. Some kind of a will that he wants to use for his glory and his purposes, uh, in, in his purposes of ordering and reigning. Um, but when sin enters the picture and fall in this, um, things become quite a mess. And the fact that, you know, the Bible is in a two chapter book of how he reigns over creation, humans tick him off and he kills us. Uh, <laughs> the fact that he, he bears with us has his plan to save us. Um, I think that says a lot about God. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, go ahead. Because in the epic of Atrahasis, another one of these epics kicking around the ancient world, uh, you have the gods who, they get tired of doing all their work. They just want to chill and party. So they make the lesser gods do all the, the grunt jobs. But then they start complaining to the, the bigger gods. They're like, man, we, we're tired of this work. So then they're like, all right, let's get humans. Let's make them. They'll do all the work. Great. They make humans. 
And then uh, the gods start getting ticked because they're like, they're making so much noise down there. They're having all these babies. They're becoming so populous. We can't sleep at night. So then they uh, send the flood to try and kill us because they just want to party and enjoy themselves and sleep at night. <laughs> you know, um, uh, yet here, uh, we haven't even gotten to this yet, but God's command is be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. And I love connecting this with Psalm 121. You know, uh, the God who watches over you, Israel, will not sleep nor slumber. He watches over you day and night. He'll protect you, all this. He's not like these uh, other deities and other religions, not at all. He um, and, and that makes all the difference for how we view ourselves as human beings and other human beings, how we treat each other, our ethics, and how we live, right? If we're honoring this God who abides with us, watches over us, and is like, yes, please multiply, <laughs> instead of, I'm going to kill you for multiplying because you're so noisy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, there's a complete reversal of, like, all the other mainstream uh, worldviews at the time, right? He just f- completely flops them all on, his head, on, their, on their heads. It's, uh, yeah, and in this, so in the... Hebrew uh, biblical worldview that's presented in these first, uh, you know, couple chapters of the Bible, it's uh, it's God, singular, right? Elohim created, right? He doesn't share creation. He doesn't fight for creation. He doesn't wrestle with other gods. All the other gods might be there, but they're also underneath him. We wouldn't use the word. We don't. Use, yeah, we use the word. We use a little G in the Bible. Um, some people would say that those are the demons, whatever. Um, but he doesn't share anything with himself. He he alone is the one that's responsible for the creation of everything. Genesis is this is the is the the account of how he's he brings his creation into order, and then he separates the humans amongst all other uh, creation and gives us this distinction that is we can share in. Um, share in his reign in some capacity as his image, um, bearers. As his image bearers. Yeah. yeah. So like vice regents on his behalf and he gives us a will and then we flop it and then <laughs> um, we flop and then it kind of, this is kind of like the stage set for God's new redemptive plan where he's going to bring in, uh, he's going to usher in uh, the kingdom in a, in a new way through his son and all this, um, all this begins kind of after uh, Adam and Eve are expelled out of the garden, and then we have this narrative that's set up for God to redeem humanity mm-hmm. because we sucked as <laughs> image bearers. <laughs> but like any, uh, well, like real life itself. But I was going to say any good plot, you know, there's also a tension because, yeah, uh, as Christians reading this canonically in the sense of the full scope of the Bible, uh, there's a thing coming up. We'll deal with this when we get there in future episodes but we call it the proto evangelion the uh yeah. first glimpse of the gospel right where after the fall all this is going on uh you know god makes this pronouncement that um you know this prophetic statement about how uh the seed uh you know out of the seed of the woman uh out of the seed of the woman sh- uh, well, we got right here so because you have done this so he gives judgment to the serpent right uh, cursed are you above all livestock, all the beasts of the field. On your belly you'll go, dust you'll eat, all the days of your life. And then he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between uh, your offspring and her offspring. Oh, and hold up right there. He shall, oh yeah. So before you keep reading the rest of this, it's what he's Josh here is about to read that we always seem to latch on to as Christians. But right there, enmity between the seed of the woman and the, the offspring of the serpent, right? Yeah. Uh, they're... So what we just skipped over, here's the Reader's Digest version. Serpent, uh, you know, tells Adam and Eve, hey, go eat the, the 
fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which God told you not to eat. It's all right. Turns out it's not all right, uh, like God said. Uh, <laughs> like so, God said, yeah. So now serpent's cursed. There's this issue. Um, there's punishment. There's this, uh, uh, expulsion from Eden, all this. Um, and he's making the statement. So again, what Joshua's about to read here, it's what we latch on to, the hopeful part. Yes, there's going to be redemption. But this is what we often miss. There's going to be enmity between the seed of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. What happens after this and after that is that, uh, great, they have children. Looks like we're going to get the seed of the woman. It's going to be great. We're going to get this deliverer. Um, But no, Cain ends up killing his brother Abel, and he proves himself to be of the offspring of the serpent. And then there's this big big thing uh, that that goes on in the rest of Genesis, this theme of how at every turn it looks like the the, the most hopeful people Oh crap! It ends up their their offspring of serpent, right? They're not enough. Yeah. But but anyway, read what you were going to read here. The rest of this passage. Yeah. So he says, "I'll put enmity between you and the woman, uh, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, speaking of the serpent, but you shall bruise his heel." Yeah. So again, to the woman, he said, "I will multiply your." and childbearing and then that's where we get the idea of uh, weeds in the garden yeah. <laughs> and uh, as christians reading this canonically we're like oh that makes sense it's jesus he's the one who's gonna uh you know the serpent bruises his heel right uh, he dies but hey he rises again he's fine crushes the head of the serpent in return the head being the symbol of authority he wins um that's how we read this but this plays out over thousands of years and yeah. over uh, a lot of, of, of uh, books and literature here in our Bible before we get to the fulfillment of Jesus. Yeah, uh, That wasn't on their minds originally. Of course, it was on God's mind. But uh, it's a bit of a leap, I would say, to, to read Jesus in here uh, just um, with, without giving this room to breathe and say at the same time, what it was originally meant to say, because this sets up the drama of Israel's uh, history and, yeah. and really the, the 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 core issues, the theological issues we deal with as human beings. Yeah. So, so childbearing and uh, <laughs> we're not going to go today, but weeds in the ground. Those are you're the one with the kid. We will get you on trend. That. They're theological issues that are uh, coming up here. It's theology, right? So. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap up for today. Yeah. Um, happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. 2022. Where did like the last 22 years go? <laughs> I keep thinking, man, like 100 years ago. Remember people when were in the com- 20s. We're in the 20s now. It's going to be I weird. Know. Remember 20 years ago, 22 years ago, when our computers were all going to crash? Wait, how old was I 22 years ago? I don't know. Were you like, I was, you're a lot younger than me. I keep forgetting. Well, not a lot younger, but I think you're in your late twenties, right? Twenty-eight. My birthday's coming up right away, actually. Oh. I'm in my late twenties. Yeah, I, I remember twenty-two years ago when my mom, because my you know, yeah. Anyway, she was one of those Pentecostals that believes everything is going to happen to her. Yeah. I was six years old, twenty-two years. Ago. I should probably edit that out. <laughs> um, twenty-two years ago, I had a. I lived in a home where we planned for all the worst. <laughs> apocalyptic things that were coming so i think we bought an oil lamp for uh what, what did they call it what was it called in 2020 y2k y2k yeah because uh, <laughs> there was a y2k bug i didn't really understand that because you know we didn't even have a computer. hey we got another bug now but apparently there was a mention. bug yeah <laughs> maybe people were prophetically predicting <laughs> There's always something. Uh, yeah. If you want to know what's going to happen in the next 22 years, keep listening to us. We're probably, we're probably going to ramble on until then. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, anyway, 2022, Y2K, Omicron. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Uh, hey, coming up soon, we're going to have a... I mean, yeah, well, I'm going to just make him commit. Uh, we're going to have a biblical guy on that speaks Greek and Hebrew. An actual biblical guy. Yeah, and he actually taught me my intro to Greek. Yep. Um, so we're pretty excited with that. He's gonna I took classes with him like crazy 10 plus years no, 10 years ago he's oh, a great yeah. guy yeah and he way smarter and, than I am yeah so he teaches uh, biblical language usage at our local college so he's pretty excited he's gonna listen to our podcast see if we're uh, worthy of him as a, <laughs> as a guest but uh, we're gonna Skype call him in or something so looking forward to that so you have to keep posted he's gonna come and talk about these things going on in Genesis as well and uh, bring in some insight as to how the author is using language strategically to like as we've said, you know, put living 3D color to that story. So yeah, we're pretty excited. Okay, guys, thanks for listening.